Glad you're here. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. And uh, we're just really thrilled to have everybody in the house, new faces, old faces. It's just cool to have you guys. Um, y'all like the interviews? I, I do too. You know, you know my favorite part of the interview? I loved when Kelly said, we study the Bible because I'm the leader. You know, it's like, they just want to chit-chat, but that's what we do because I'm the leader. I'm like, that's awesome. I love that. Um, two things before we get into the message this morning. Um, number one, y'all know how we do uh, least of these offering at the end of every month? Y'all know that? It's become a pattern here. Okay. Next week is the end of the month, and uh, we're going to do two weeks, I'm sorry, two weeks, uh, it will be the end of the month, and we're going to do something slightly different. We're not going to do a, uh, what, we, what we might call a traditional least of these offering. We're not going to take up an offering for the benevolence in the community. We're actually doing halfway decent on the benevolence right now. So in two weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to bless the worship band. Okay? Uh, are you guys blessed by the worship band every week? See, here's what I want to tell you. Um, the guys who do the worship and the guys who do the sound, they, they give here at the Vineyard more than anyone else in terms of a volunteer sense. These guys, uh, they, they don't just, they rehearse during the week like crazy, but they don't just rehearse during the week like crazy. They've made rehearsal a part of their life. They've, they've literally, when, to become a drummer like Matt is or to become a guitar player like Glenn and Sam are or to be able to play bass like Haas and, and, uh, Haas and Kevin or to be able to sing like Hannah or to be able to write songs like any of them, one of the things that, about that kind of life is it, it means that you don't just say yes to playing guitar and singing and music, but it, says, but, it, but, it, but it requires that you live the, life, the kind of life that says no to a whole host of other things. Now, in, unless you've lived it, you don't, it's, it's hard to understand. Uh, you know, some of you guys are really proficient in an area. Being proficient in an area isn't just a matter of saying yes to that, but it's a matter of saying no to some other things. And I just feel like as a church, because it's, it's one of our banners, it's, uh, one of our banners we have hanging over here is radical generosity. So in two weeks, what I want to do, rather than, rather than uh, do a least of these offerings, we're going to bless the band. And we're going to take up an offering, and uh, we're going to take that offering, and we're going to divide it among, uh, we're going to divide it among the band equally. Not that it would even be necessarily enough for, for them in terms of my heart toward them or, or even your all's heart toward them, but we just want to signal to the band that it's, it's important and we appreciate it. Is that cool? So here's what I want to do. This is how radical I want us to be. I want it to be actual radical generosity. I want it to be generosity to the point it cuts. And here's what I believe we can do. I believe we can say, Father, we want to bless our own for one month. Jesus, would you cause, would you cause my heart to soften and would you allow my ears to hear the number that you'd like me to, to bless the band with? Not only that, but Father, would you cause windfall to come into my life? No, I've never prayed the windfall prayer that it, didn't, that it didn't come about. I mean, crazy stuff. I even had Farm Bureau Insurance write me a check back one time. I don't even know how that happens. How do you get insurance money back? I, I have no idea. They wrote me a check. I'm just saying, if we turn our heart toward generosity, the Lord always responds. Is that cool? All right. Number, that was one. Number two. Number two is um, uh, some kind of cool news this week. Uh, it involves me and, uh, in, and the band. But uh, two, of the songs, uh, two of the songs that we play here at the Vineyard, two of the songs that I wrote and, and the band has been with me on for the last several years here at the Vineyard, have been picked up by Vineyard Music Group and have been put on an album. It's a Southeast uh, worship album called Is God Listening? And uh, you can go on iTunes and you can download those. And if you, were to, if you were to go on iTunes and download those, 
it would bless us, okay? It would bless us. I feel like it's part of what the Lord wants to do here is establish a, a, crea- a, a culture of creativity and, and especially a culture of music. And we already see that sort of forming right now. But um, it's, on, it's online. If you go to iTunes, all you have to do is type in, Is God Listening? It'll pull it right up. And then you can see the two songs that are, that are on there from us. Uh, they picked up Cloud by Day and they picked up uh, Flood. So I'm just like super stoked about that, you know. By the way, they're the most popular on the album so far in sales, and I'm pretty stoked about that as well. Yeah, we've got to keep that going. Yeah. All right, we're in week three of a series here called The Good Life. And uh, what we're doing is we're investigating how, how the kingdom of heaven, it isn't just good news. It's, it's, not just, it's not just good news that affects us, you know, someday in the future. Perhaps when we die, we won't go to hell, but we'll go to heaven. It's not just good news in that, in that strict, uh, strict traditional context. But it's good news in the sense that the kingdom of heaven is the best thing for me and you today. Amen? It's the best thing for me and you today. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. I'll read it off the big board here. Jesus says this. He lays it out there for us just plain as day. He says, the thief comes, to, comes only to kill, I mean, to steal, kill, and destroy. I can't read today. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, here's the, here's the deal. Jesus lays it out for us, and he makes it so plain and clear. He says, the thief, he only comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. He says, but I've come that they may have life, and they may have it to the full. And when Jesus is talking about the full life, he's talking about the abundant life. And in, in another section of Scripture, slightly different context, Jesus is talking about the, the pressed down, shaken together, and running over kind of life. You know, I asked this last week, but you can humor me and respond again. Who wants the pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing life? See, that's what I want. And, and here's the deal. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that you can have that now. You don't have to die to have that. You don't have to wait till some unforeseen time in the future to have that. You can have it today, even, even this moment, this morning, living in the purple chair. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. And so to align with Jesus is to align with abundant life. See, here's the deal. Culture tells us a lot about good, the good life because, because really the battle lines, the battle lines in, in, in the life that we live, it's really drawn along this line of the good life because, because culture and society will tell you that the good life looks like this. They'll tell you that the good life is having a sexy mate, having a four-bedroom, three-bathroom brick house in a, an attractive neighborhood. And then after you get the sexy mate and the big brick house in an attractive neighborhood, Society will tell you that in order to live the good life, then you need to get a boat in the garage. And then after you get the boat in the garage, you need to get a bigger boat. And then after you trade off the bigger boat, you get a bigger boat. And so, so what I'm trying to tell you is this, that, that society has defined the good life in terms of, of accumulating stuff. And so we get stuff, and then we get tired of the stuff, solely so that we can get rid of the stuff and get more stuff. And what I want to tell you is this, that if you don't have the sexy wife... Or husband, if you don't have a four bedroom, I do though. Isn't my wife amazing today? She looks, isn't her hat? Look at her hair; it's unbelievable. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you're one of those unfortunate people, I'm just saying, if you're one of those people who who unfortunately hasn't been able to land 
the sexy wife. If you haven't been able to come up with the four-bedroom, three-bath, brick home in an attractive neighborhood, if you haven't been able to get rid of the boat you have for the bigger boat, some of us are some of that and some of us are all of that, you know? The good news is that if all of that applied to you, you can still have the good life. That's the real good news. Amen? I want to read you some scripture this morning out of Matthew chapter 5. I hope you read that again this week. I'm telling you, repetition is, the, is one of the keys to understanding in the kingdom. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. It's really familiar, okay? I'll try to read it for you, even though I'm having a hard time reading this morning. This is Jesus, and he's talking to the crowds out on the mount. He says, You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the, to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. There we go. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I'll tell you the truth, you won't get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray just a little bit, if that's all right. Here's why we need to pray. We need to pray because this piece of Scripture is so familiar that we'll be tempted to believe, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, okay? It's it's like stained glass in a church. It's been there for years, been there, done it, bought the T-shirt. So let's let's just pray and ask the Lord to soften our hearts so that we could hear. Father, would would you allow us to have ears that hear this morning? And Father, would you deliver us from the notion that I already know this? Father, would you deliver me from, from the notion that says, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. God, would you, would, you, would you give me a soft heart and would you give me ears that hear your voice this morning? Even me, Jesus. Amen. Amen. One note that I think is important before we, be, before we begin with the text this morning is, is we really need to, to see... Jesus' entire Sermon on the Mount, but not just the entire Sermon on the Mount, but the scripture that, we, that we're looking at this morning, we need to be able to see that within the context of where it fits in the scripture and sort of the chronology of what Jesus has been up to. And we looked a little bit at this last week, but I just think it's so important for us to get a view of it. It's Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through 25. This is the context. So the scripture we just read, the context for that scripture is this scripture. I'll come over here and read to these people. Turn my back on those people now. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom, of the kingdom and healing every, every disease and sickness among the people. Stop. I want you to notice that the preaching of the good news of the kingdom is almost always connected with healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
When you start looking at the gospel, you can't separate the two. When Jesus starts to begin to proclaim good news to the people, it's not, the message isn't just the words that Jesus says, it's what he does. So he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the cool part. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, that's just, that just means the ten-city region around the lake there. Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Why is this important? It's important because by the time we get to Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus begins to teach the people, these are the people that he's teaching. Okay, The people who have just experienced the breakout of the kingdom. The people who have just experienced seizures in their body leaving them. The people who have been freed from demonic oppression. People who've, who have had demonic oppression for years. Jesus set them free with a touch and a word. Not only that, but people who had severe pain, they were, they were suffering from severe pain. They were suffering from pain in their bodies all over. They had fibromyalgia. They had knee pain. They, need, they needed a hip replacement. They come to Jesus. They've been suffering. He sets them free in a moment. And so because of this, healing revival breaks out, and a crowd forms. And when the crowd forms, it's a crowd who's experienced the touch of Jesus. And from that place of experience, he begins to teach them. And so when we read these, these words this morning, in Matthew chapter 5, the, the thing that we need to keep in mind is it's these guys that Jesus is beginning to preach to. And so here's what I want to tell you this morning. That in the same way that the gospel of the kingdom of God gives strength to lame legs, it's the same way that the gospel of the kingdom of God give strength to lame lifestyles. And that's what we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to pick up lame lifestyles. Because when Jesus begins to talk about, when Jesus begins to talk about, uh, when Jesus begins to preach to the people in Matthew chapter 5, he's giving them the same good news that he was giving them in Matthew chapter 4. Can we see that? Yeah. In in the same way that Jesus' actions gave strength to lame legs, his words give strength to lame lifestyles in chapter 5. And so Jesus lays out for us the best kind of life. Let's look at verse 21 and 22. That would be all right. Verse 21 and 22. Jesus says this. He says, You guys have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. We'll stop right there for a few minutes. See, here's what we're doing. Jesus is in his typical Jesus mode. He's upsetting the apple cart, and he upsets the apple cart this way. And you can, when you read Matthew chapter 5, he does it over and over. He starts with, you guys have heard it was like this, but I'm telling you it's like this. And so he begins to just upset the apple cart. He takes the commonly held worldview, and then he redefines it. And the commonly held worldview was that, that basically is, that murder was a problem. And Jesus comes in and he re- redefines that worldview and he says, yeah, I want to tell you guys something. Not only is murder a problem, but anger is a problem. And um, it's, one of the, it's, one of the defining, it's one of the defining realities of Jesus' ministry is that Jesus never just deals with 
actions done, Jesus always deals with the heart. And so here, here's what the Lord, this is what the Lord is basically saying here. He's saying, he's saying, you guys, you guys think that, you guys think that murder is the problem? I'm here to tell you right now, murder is just, it's just anger that's all grown up. Where does murder come from? Murder comes from the heart, and it comes from a place of anger. And so um, Jesus is basically asking us a question this morning. He's asking us this. He's saying, what would you rather have running around in your living room? Would you rather have a full-grown cobra in your living room, or would you rather have a baby cobra? What do you want in your living room? What would you rather have running around in your living room? A, a baby cobra. B, a full-grown cobra. What's the right answer? Neither one of them. That's right. Why? Because they can both kill you. I asked this to my staff the other day, two weeks ago. This is hysterical. I say, hey, staff, what would you rather have running around in in your living room, a baby cobra or a full-size cobra? Pretty much everyone said, neither. They'll kill you. And then I hear Hannah say, well, probably the big one because it would be easier to shoot. I can appreciate that perspective, you know. Yeah. What would you rather have? The baby or the big one? Neither. They'll both kill you. They'll absolutely both kill you. And so what Jesus is doing is he's highlighting the fact that the good life He's highlighting the good life, and he's highlighting the roadblocks that keep a person from entering into the real good life. See, the commonly held worldview is, don't murder, and you'll be a good person. No, Jesus is saying, if you want to live the good life, get rid of anger. Like, the real good life is being the kind of person that anger doesn't even reside in. See, here's the deal. Jesus is really dividing this along religious, along religious mindsets because the religious mindset says, just avoid the big one, you know? This is what the religious mindset, this is how it works. It says, just avoid the big one. Just don't kill anyone and you'll be all right. How many of you guys know, how many of you guys know people who haven't killed anybody, but there's plenty of venom in their anger? How many of you know people who, who have plenty of venom in their anger and it's ruining their families? Maybe it's you. See, here's the deal. How many of you know that if the only reason a husband doesn't beat his wife is because the law says don't beat your wife? How many of you know that that marriage is jacked up? <laughs> See, the religious mindset says just avoid the big one. You know, Jesus is saying, no, let's deal with the heart. Let's deal with the root. Let's get to the bottom of it because if we deal with the root, then you can actually live the good life. The good life of being the kind of person. It's, it's a, Jesus is actually talking about being a completely different kind of person. And he's talking about being the kind of person where anger doesn't even reside. I've got a video. You guys can kill the lights. Kind of demonstrates this a little bit. I think you'll enjoy it. From Sweden, Schiller Visions. Tonight, hidden camera commercials. What are they hiding? Are you aware, sir, that you are drinking Colombian decaffeinated coffee crystals? Am I? Why, it's delicious. It tastes like rich-bodied regular coffee. 
It took 264 hidden camera customers before that reaction was obtained. I am Knorven Knusen for Swedish Television One, and tonight we are going to examine the American craze of hidden camera commercials, particularly what doesn't make it to your home television set. Watch this unused camera take. Sir, do you realize that you are not drinking regular coffee, but Colombian decaffeinated coffee crystals? What? I said, you're drinking Colombian decaf coffee crystals. What? You son of a bitch. You no good damn From Shreveport, Louisiana, via international satellite hookup, the victim of that hidden camera commercial, Michael Huff. Mr. Huff, how do you feel about your experience on hidden camera? Angry. Thank you. And thank you from Swedish Television. Good night. This is a presentation of Swedish Television. Yeah, anger can be a problem, huh? And, um, yeah, it had a couple cuss words in it, and we tried to edit them out, and uh, if you're offended this morning, uh, you can just send the email to adam at vineyardcampbellsville.com, and we'll die. There it is. You can write it down. That was my call, so. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Marcus. Yeah, this is what Jesus says, uh, if we can recover from that. So Jesus says, he says, you thought that murder was going to get you judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. And one of the things I want us to realize is that when Jesus is saying this, he's saying that anger is subject to the same judgment as murder is. Can we see that? Anger is subject to the same judgment as murder. And, and one, of the, one of the great things about Jesus is something I've already said. He always deals with the heart. He always deals with root issues. This is, what, this is what it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's always looking at the heart. And so Jesus is, is highlighting an important reality for us. And it's this, that the good life is the life that's lived from the heart. It's not just being a person who, who has incredible intestinal fortitude and has great willpower and can say no to the big one. It's about being the kind of person who can live from the heart the good life. It's not simply a matter of not doing the big one. It's about dealing with the roots so that I become the kind of person who lives without doing the big ones or the little ones. 
See, here's the deal. Mo- everybody in the room realizes that, that, that murder is a problem, right? I mean, we all get that. Just kind of like a person who kills another person, that person is, is a ruined soul at a certain level. But one of the things we may not realize is that, that anger comes from the same spot and it can ruin a heart just like murder can, okay? And so Jesus is redefining the issues. And, and one of the things I want us to see is this, that, um, that it isn't just murder that's a serious problem, but it's, that it's, that, that it's, it's what's at the root of that, and it's anger. And, um, and I want to point out something here before we move on. I, I, think it's, I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus begins his, essentially begins his Sermon on the Mount, begins digging in here at, at, in chapter 5 at verse 21. He begins digging in with anger. Why does he begin digging in with anger? You ever ask yourself for that? You know, he's, he's cruising right along, and the first time he begins to really focus his attention and really begin, to, really begin to settle in on what is the good kind of life, he begins dealing with issue, with the issue of anger. The reason that he begins dealing with the issue of anger is this, is because it's a root and core issue that so many other issues flow out of. Let's do this in the scripture. If you've got your Bible with you, and I hope you do, just look across the page and look at the, look at the last section of chapter 5. What's it about? The last, section of, the last section of chapter 5. Love your enemies. Consider this. How is it that you can become the kind of person who genuinely has care and affection and can genuinely love your enemies if you haven't first dealt with anger? Does that make sense? So Jesus is dealing with root issues, and he's saying, hey, you guys think that, that, that you know, murder is the only problem? Jesus is saying, no, I'm telling you right now, if you want to live the good kind of life, one of the first issues that must be dealt with in living the good life is dealing with anger. Here's one of the things I found in my own life. I found that my heart is a greenhouse. Anybody else found this out to be true? I found that my heart is a greenhouse, and it will grow what's inside Change metaphors just a little bit. My heart is a petri dish, and it will grow what is on it. It's one of the things that Jesus is telling us. He's telling us, he's telling us that the heart is a greenhouse, and it will grow what's inside. Whatever's inside, good and bad, ugly, in-between, gray, doesn't matter. Whatever's inside will grow in the greenhouse of the heart. I want us to look at the scripture here. Let's start in verse 21 again. You've heard it said that, to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. See, he's talking about anger on the inside of the heart. Now, look at, look at, look at the next section here. It's, it's changed. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, to his, to, who says you fool, to his brother will be in danger of of the fires of hell. What's Jesus pointing out here? He's saying that what's on the inside of your heart will come out. Every single time, your heart is a greenhouse and the things that are on the inside of the heart, they will come out. See, here's how it starts. It starts with anger on the inside. It's imperceptible. Nobody knows it. It's secret. It's hidden. Only the eyes of God fall upon it for a little while. And then what happens? It changes and it becomes spoken. And then what happens? After we, after we become comfortable with spoken anger, then what happens? Then we, then we begin to take action. And what I want to tell you is, is, is that the greenhouse of the heart works like this. There's, at least, there's, about four, there's about four steps into actions, and I want to show this to you. This is the way it works. Uh, it works like this, the greenhouse of the heart. That which is in my heart becomes that which is in my mind. And that which is in my mind becomes 
that which I speak, which becomes those things that I act out. This is, this, is the, this is the foundation for the good life. I want you to consider this. That which is in my heart becomes that which is in my mind, which becomes spoken, which becomes acted out. Would most of us in here agree with this, with this synopsis? Here's the, thing about the, here's, the, here's the thing about those first two, the heart and the mind. They're both affective, meaning this, that the things that are in your mind can also go to your heart, Okay? I don't know exactly, I'm not smart enough to be able to dial that out, but I can tell you this right now. Things that are in your heart becomes the things that are in your mind. The things that are in your mind become the things that you speak. The things that you speak will become action-oriented. And so why did I bring that up? Here's the deal. When we, when we give anger place in our heart to the point that it becomes spoken anger, look how far down the path we've, we've gotten. When, when, when it gets to the point that our anger is anger spoken, look how far down the path we've gotten already and look how close we are to, to actions of anger. Does this make sense? See, by the time, by the time, we, by the time we get to, to angry words, we're already three steps into a four-step process. We're 75% of the way there. And some of us in the room might be thinking, man, I can't do this. I can't live this. I can't live the good life. I'm, I'm naturally an angry person. I don't know what to do with this. And, and here's the good news this morning. that Anytime Jesus lays out the bar, anytime Jesus lays out a command, at the same time, Jesus empowers people to live up to his own standard. See, see here's the deal. Fundamentally, we have to get this thing set straight, that the Lord is good. And he's not the kind of person who would say, Hoss, don't be angry because it'll ruin you. He's not the kind of person who would tell Hoss, Hoss, don't be angry, and at the same time not empower him to be the kind of person who couldn't be angry. See, a lot of us, a lot of us struggle with this and go, man, Jesus' bar is too high. I want to tell you, Jesus wouldn't set the bar at any place that he wouldn't get behind you and push you over. He's just not a bad guy. I mean, if you don't believe that about Jesus, then how in the world do you have faith that he's going to save you from hell? He's really good. And if he sets the bar here, he's the one who's most behind you, empowering you to hit that bar here. Here's the other thing I found about anger. Anger is almost always about control. While I've been investigating the scriptures again, I've been coming back to this section of scripture again in my own life, I've spent some time meditating through these passages, and as I've spent some time meditating, one of the things I've realized is, number one, I'm an angry person. Number two, anger is almost always about control. Consider this. See, we, don't, we get angry when someone, some, when someone comes along and crosses our will. We're doing our thing. Someone cr- comes along and keeps us from doing our thing. The, the reaction is anger, and the next thing you know, things are being spoken, our hearts being turned. It's almost always about control. And so one of, the, one of the keys that we need to realize is as we begin to be the kind of people who can be set free from anger and live the good life where anger, where anger isn't even on the inside of the greenhouse of our heart, one of the keys is we have to realize what we're really talking about is our own willingness to control everything. That's what's at the bottom. That's what's at the ground floor of anger. It's my desire to control everything. And Jesus begins with anger. This is why I believe he begins with it. Not just because it leads 
to being able to live the good life in other areas, but because of this issue of control. See, anger's at the floor. At the floor of anger is control. And control, the kind of person who wants to keep control in their life on every single issue is the kind of person who will rebel the master and will, will rebel against being a disciple. Because being a disciple isn't just about saying, Jesus, I trust you to save me from hell. It's about saying, Jesus, put your yoke upon me and let me learn from you. Can we hear this? It's about control. Somebody crosses me, I get angry, and then I start an anger campaign against them. I'm an angry person. I'll tell you a funny story. I was trying to buy a car last week. Go to the Honda store in E-Town. I decide I'm going to buy a Honda Civic. I want a new one. So I go over there. I find the Honda Civic I like. I drive it around. doesn't feel like me. I feel a little strange in the car, but I go ahead, and I'm, I'm thinking this at least makes intellectual sense. I don't need a truck. I'm trying to break the emotional attachments of trucks. I've only driven trucks and four-wheel drive things my whole life. I don't need it. I just want it. But, so I'm over there, and that may have been my problem already. So I'm finding so much genetic something. I see I come from a long line of men who drive trucks and so I'm fighting DNA and, and, and I'm at the Honda store and I find a Civic. I can't believe I'm in this tiny car. I can't believe how much the tiny car costs. And and I'm in the, and I'm in the office with the salesperson and and we've negotiated through on most items and he comes back to me with the deal and he says, "Hey, Mr. Russell, we've got the payments here for you. 36, 48 and 60 months. How do those look to you?" And I say, "Well, Mike, Where's the interest rate out on this? He's like, oh, well, uh, you know, what's the matter, Mr. Russell? You don't like the payments. I said, Mike, you don't understand. I'm not negotiating payments with you. I'm negotiating price. I want to know the interest rate. I can feel it starting in my heart. I can even feel it right now, actually. Here's one of the things I found about anger is there's an anointing for anger. Like when it falls on me, like I can like with laser precision put a dagger right into someone. And so Mike, again, he has kind of a deer in the headlights look. And he says, well, you know, Mr. Russell, you don't like these payments? And, and, and at that point, I lean across the table. and I'm, I'm somewhat of an intense person, if you know me at all, anyway. And I looked right at him, and I said, Mike, here's the deal. And I'm, I'm, I, I was pointing at him. I said, Mike, here's the deal. If you are telling me that you can't tell me what the interest rate on this loan is, and that you're going to have to walk down that hallway and talk to your sales manager for the interest rate, I'm telling you, I'm leaving. He says, I need to go see my sales manager. I said, peace, Mike. (laughs) See, here's the problem with that scenario. The problem with that scenario, it's just about me. See, the problem with that scenario is I was unable to see that Mike is just a regular guy. He's got four kids and he needs to make a sale. I'm not saying that what he was doing to me was right because it wasn't. But what I am saying is I, I was, in that moment, I was unable to jump, to, ju- to do the intellectual hurdle and go, this is a guy who's just trying to make a living. I'm not going to let him swindle me, but I can respond in something other than anger. See, anger is about control. I wanted to control that moment, and that guy was jacking with me, hiding the interest. I mean, he's probably going to stick me with 11% interest. See, here's the deal. By the time we begin to speak anger against a brother, something subtle but incredibly serious has taken place. Anger's morphed. 
okay? Started as anger, but when we begin to speak anger against a brother, anger morphs, and it morphs into contempt. And it's the kind of contempt that looks at a brother and says, raka. And raka basically, they don't really know what it means, but it basically means empty-headed, blockhead, jughead, worthless piece of poop. That's basically what raka means. And then when then it go, Jesus goes on further and says, you know, if you look at your brother and you say, you fool, you're in, you're in danger of the fires of hell. There's something, there's something serious, and, and I would even say insidious, that takes place when we begin to speak anger against a brother or a sister. Anger moves from the place of anger. It turns into contempt. And what it does is says, because I can't control that person, they're worthless. Can you hear that? That's really what happens. I can't control them. They're worthless. Here's one of the things I want to tell you. There's no domesticated anger. So you can't keep anger as a pet in the house. It's a cobra. It will kill you. There's no such thing as domesticated anger. It's a cobra. It will kill you. Every time. Has it gotten heavy enough in here? We've talked about the problem, right? This is about living the good life, actually. This is actually about living the good life. Let's look at the solution, okay? Jesus offers us the solution. And I'm going to tell you guys right up front that the solution requires courage and intestinal fortitude, all right? Here's the solution to anger, to becoming the kind of person where bitterness and malice and contempt, it doesn't even live there. Verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. This, Jesus' solution absolutely blows my mind. This is Jesus' solution to anger. He says, while you're in worship, if you realize that your brother has something against you, quit worship. Go find your brother, be reconciled, and then come back and worship. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this, that the solution to anger, number one, is seeing your brother. Number one, it's, 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 it's in this. It's in seeing the person that you think is against you. It's, it begins with seeing that they're actually a brother. The number one way to kill anger in your life is to see that he's a brother, to see that he's a sister. And then go to him. This is the thing that absolutely blows my mind about Jesus' solution for anger. Jesus is saying this. He's saying that if you want to live the good life, if you want to be set free from anger, he's saying that dealing with your brother is as important as worshiping me. Can you see that? He says, while you're in worship, stop. Go find your brother, make it right, and then come back and worship. Isn't it crazy? It's an absolutely unbelievable, crazy way to to run a railroad, but that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that your brother and and the conflict that's between you and that person is just as important as meeting with God and giving him worship. that, That thought has blown my circuits all week long. How do we live the good life? Number one, we see our brother and we go to our brother. Here's the deal. Let's talk about religion again. Because this is the perfect picture of religion. This is what religion does. Religion avoids my brother so that I can carry on religious activity. 
religion avoids my brother so I can carry on the work of God. Religion says that the work of God, for the sake of the work of God, is more important than my brother. And so if we want to be set free, we get, we get set free. And I'm telling you guys, it takes incredible courage. It takes intestinal fortitude only at the beginning. It's to see him as a brother. Look at chapter 5, verse 20. It's, it's a really, really disturbing verse. Or has been for me a little bit. Jesus says this. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Heavy, right? It's like shake you to your core kind of stuff if you really think about it. How is it that, how is it that, our, that our righteousness can actually surpass the scribes and the Pharisees? It's what we just read. It's to see your brother and to not let religious observance get in the way of making contact with a person and making it right. Can we see that? When, when we become the kind of person who will not let religious duty keep us from the person who's offended, when we, when we become the kind of people who won't, who won't let religious observance keep us from making things right, our righteousness actually exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Because what would a scribe and Pharisee do? He'd say, you're a fool, you're an empty-headed blockhead, I'm going to go on and worship God to heck with you. Can we see that? Jesus is actually painting it out for us. One of the things I also want to say is this, is that Jesus isn't saying that connecting with God isn't important. He's just prioritizing kingdom life. And so there's a rhythm to kingdom life, okay? There's a rhythm to kingdom life. And, and it's found in a scripture like uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. This, this seems different. The context is very different, but I hope it'll make sense to you. This is what Paul writes. He says, if anyone does not know how he can manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? What's, what's the point? There's a rhythm to kingdom life in the New Testament, and the rhythm goes like this. It's like, deal with your stuff before you come to church. It's not like, it's not like he's saying, deal with a, setting a bar and saying that you'll be unaccepted, but he's saying, if you're, if you're continually the kind of person who isn't, who isn't seeing kingdom influence come into our jobs and our families and our schools, then we're somehow significantly missing the bar and missing the point. The other thing I want us to notice is this, is that Jesus' solution for anger, it, it's lived out in everyday life. He says, go to your brother. And one of the things I want to tell you is, is that our hearts are shaped by everyday choices. You own the life that you have chosen over the last 15 years. Your heart, your heart condition, you chose it, and you've chosen it over the last 15 years, 20 years, 5 years, 10 years. And Jesus is telling us that plainly. When he says, go to your brother, he's saying that the solution is lived out in everyday life in the same way that the problem accumulates in everyday life. And so, and so whatever your heart condition is, be it incredibly bitter and angry and beat up and worn out, you, you've chosen that heart condition. This is the hard word this morning. You've, you've actually chosen that heart condition over the past 10, 15 years. And the only solution is, is, is to deal with it in real life. See, the religious mindset will want you to deal with it in any place except for real life. 
Just go and worship more. I'm telling you, you can go and worship till the, till the cows come home and until you deal with, with anger or bitterness or malice or rage or any of these other things in real life, you'll never get set free from them. It's the power of choice. See, anger didn't just happen. It was grown, nurtured, concentrated, concentrated and it's formed the mold of my life. And if our faith doesn't cause us to contact the real world, then we're just trapped in dead religion. That's the first part of the solution. Second part of the solution. Let's look at verse 25. Jesus says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penalty. And I want to tell you that when Jesus says settle matters quickly, this is a, this is a, this is a jewel. This is a practical jewel. How do you get set free from anger? The, the number one thing is go to your brother, and number two is do it quickly. How many of you have noticed this, that it's a lot easier to be angry with someone who's not in the room? Have you noticed that? Like, while they're not in the room, I can be angry. I can replay the tape of how they offended me. I can, st- I, this is what I do anyway. I, I'll, st- I'll even start like getting, like getting the daggers like sharpened. Like I, I already know what I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them how they can get there and where they can go. Get the person in front of you. And it's a whole lot different story. Anybody ever realize that? See, Jesus is, is giving us practical gems on how to live life and how to be set free and live the good life. One, realize that it's your brother. Number two, go to them quickly. See, because here's the deal. Matters that aren't settled quickly are fed and nurtured. And there are no, there are no domesticated versions of anger. They're all cobras. Anything, anything that isn't settled quickly, face to face, gets fed, it gets watered, it gets nurtured, and the sucker grows. And the thing, next thing you know, you don't have a little cobra in your, in your living room more. You've got a giant cobra. And cobras can get huge, too. I was watching this thing the other day. Anybody, have you, any of you guys ever watched Austin Stevens, Snake Master guy? Y'all seen that guy? He's absolutely nuts. I watched it with my kids. I was peeing in my pants. This guy decides that it's a good idea to go over and I don't even, God knows where he was at, in India somewhere, and he's going to find the king cobra, okay? No, the king cobra is the, they call it the king cobra for a reason because the suckers are huge. Okay, he goes on this camping trip, just walks out into the bush. He's in the bush for like seven days and finally finds a king cobra. The sucker's 16 feet long. It gets worse. A king cobra can lift itself off the ground six feet. So Austin Stevens is standing here, and this snake is looking him in the eyes. How did that snake get so big? It got that big because it was watered, and it was fed, and it was nurtured. And here's what I want to tell you. There are no domesticated versions of anger. If you don't settle it quickly with your actual brother face-to-face, you're watering it, you're nurturing it, and you're feeding it. And the next thing you know, you've got a 16-foot-long cobra in your living room that can look people in the eyes. And it's a problem. There's, there's no domesticated versions of anger. It reminds me of another crazy story I heard. 
This is John Mark's favorite story, but it's been on the news again lately. Have y'all heard, heard about that woman, her and her husband, they got the little chimp, they raised the chimp, and they loved the chimp, and they lived with it for 20 years? Yeah, see, here's the deal. Chimps are wild animals. You know what happened to that woman? Bobo went crazy and ripped her face off. I don't mean to make light of that, but it's just crazy. Literally, the neighbors, the neighbors find, find the husband and the wife, and he's, Bobo's gone crazy and pulled every finger off of them, ripped their face off, found their nose on the counter. Why? It's because they got comfortable with a wild animal. I want to tell you, you get comfortable with anger, you're going to end up with a face on the kitchen floor and a body in the living room. That was a little sad. Marcus liked it. I don't know. I'm, I'm being a little goofy, but it's still true. I just want you to know it's true. There's a woman, um, there's a woman that Ray and I had an encounter with at my store. This was several years ago. Just to show you how crazy this is, <clears throat> this woman is a very sick person, and she still comes to my store, and she's still very sick. And she's been, been sick her, you know, her whole adult life, but Ray and I decided to pray for her one day, and we're in the back of my store, and and we, we asked her, we're just like, you know, any, anything happened so many years ago when, when you got sick? And she's like, no, nothing happened. We're like, well, tell us what was going on in your family. And then she begins to tell us how a nephew back in like 1982 came out of the closet and told the whole family that he was gay. And it really upset her and really, really created kind of a stir in the family, you know? Just in, in really, a, in, in sort of a nasty sort of way. And, um, and this was back in the 80s when, when people didn't understand how AIDS worked. They thought, like, if you hug somebody, you'll get AIDS. Y'all, know, y'all remember those days? I remember them. I was, in middle, I was actually in, in elementary school. I remember those days of everyone being freaked out about AIDS. So she has a nephew who, who comes out of the closet. He ends up being gay. And sure enough, he actually has AIDS. Not only that... Um, you know, so everyone's freaked out, and, and she's at a, a family function with her. And she said she was drinking a Coke, and she puts her Coke down, and her nephew reaches across the table, grabs her Coke, looks her in the eyeball, drinks it, and puts it down. Now, he's just playing off of her own fears, even though they were unfounded. She was convinced that he was on purpose trying to give her AIDS. She, she became incredibly angry, furious, bitter, Basically wrote him out of her life from that day forward. Basically condemned him to hell. And even to this day, when she was telling Ray and I about this, when she was talking about him, we're talking about a small woman. The woman is vibrating, shaking with anger. This is a woman who's had cancer twice, whose body is full, absolutely full, to the brim with, with arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis has knots all over, and a host of medical conditions that I couldn't even begin to tell you. And what I want to tell you is this. There are no domesticated versions of anger. This woman was completely deceived about what the issues were, but because she gave her heart to anger, not just in that moment, but continued to feed, nurture, and water that anger over the last 20 years, she is the most bitter, vile, vitriol, and sick woman, actual sick woman that I know just about in Campbellsville. I'm telling you, 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 you embrace anger, you, what you're embracing is the wild animal. 
I know what some of you are thinking too. Some of some of you are probably thinking, well, what about what about what about righteous anger? And what about what about you know? Paul says, you know, be angry but don't sin. Here's what I want to tell you: until you learn how to deal with unrighteous anger, you don't have any idea about how to deal with righteous anger. Here's the other thing too. I want to tell you this: that most people most people use that scripture so they can so they can be stubborn and hide behind the anger that they don't want to get rid of, and call it righteous anger. Here's the other thing I want to tell you. Perfect love casts out fear. And, and, and there are very few things in the world that are actually going to get better from, from being driven by anger. You know, you, you hear people talk about injustice and abortion and say, well, we, what we need to do is we need to get angry. About it. No, I promise you the anger is probably what's made it worse. And until you learn how to deal with unrighteous anger, you'll have no clue about how to deal with righteous anger. You can't domesticate anger. It leads to the kind of life that imprisons. See, here's the deal. You've got to keep in mind that Jesus has just set bodies free and he's trying to set minds free. Even this morning, he's trying to set minds free. And the prisons that he's talking about in verse 26, uh, they may be real prisons or they may be demonically empowered with our agreement and our choice, but either way, they're prisons. And, And here's the deal. Most of us have not actually never murdered anyone. Thanks, Lord. You know? Nobody in here is a murderer. Good chance nobody here ever going to murder anybody. But here's, here's what I know has happened. I suspect that there's a lot of people in here. I suspect that there are a lot of people in here who have written other people off in anger. I suspect that there are a lot of people in here who have written other people off in anger and said, I'm done with you. You're dead to me. I suspect that there are, there are people who, who, who have dealt with, with problems by not dealing with them and by just avoiding people. And I, I would suspect that there are a lot of people in here who have, who have just written people off in anger, who have called them crazy, who have given up on people. battery died. Oh, you come back? I'll just take that one. Yeah. Nurturing anger, feeding it water, it actually puts us in a prison. Marcus, put put up the scripture from 1 John. This is what 1 John says. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness, period. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Two things I want us to notice here. Number one, from the, from the scripture in Matthew, 
unbridled anger that's fed, watered, and nurtured puts you in a prison, number one. Number two, it actually keeps you in darkness and causes you to live a life of deception and disillusion. Anybody ever wonder, anybody ever have seasons in their life where they're going, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to, I got no direction in my life. And I, I would like to suggest, not every time, but there are a lot of times that that feeling of disillusionment, discouragement, that feeling of not understanding the path that I've been, that's been laid out for me, that, that, uh, that blindness to being able to see the path that I'm supposed to walk on, I would like to suggest that oftentimes that path is a direct result of unbridled, fed, watered, and nurtured anger. And Jesus wants to set everybody free from it. And so I want to ask one last question this morning, then we'll be done. I know it's kind of heavy, but this really is good news. Got to ask yourself this question. Is my circle getting bigger or is my circle getting smaller? You have to ask yourself this question. Is my circle getting bigger or is my circle getting smaller? Because, because when, we, when we think about the heavy issues like this, when we think about anger, when we think about unbridled, unbridled sexual appetites, when we, think, we always think, well, that's somebody else's problem. You know, the temptation is, well, oh, it's, that's, that's, oh, man, my neighbor needs to hear this word. You know, that's, that's that guy's problem. And, and a lot of times we avoid allowing it to prick the soft part of our heart. And so the question this morning is this, is my circle getting smaller or is my circle getting larger? Because if your circle is getting smaller, I want to tell you, in part, it probably has something to do with unbridled anger because unbridled anger puts you in a prison. And by the way, it's solitary confinement. See, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's, it's that he leads me by waters and green pastures. He leads me to open spaces. He leads me to, to an ever-increasing, larger circle. When you line up with the kingdom of darkness, it's ever-increasing, concentric circles that get smaller and isolate you more. Amen? Amen. I feel like the Lord just wants to touch the whole, the whole church this morning um, with the good news that we can be set free from anger. So why don't we stand up? We're going to do a little. Um, we're going to do a little group deliverance. If that'd be all right. If you're on the ministry team, come on forward. Here's what I want to do this morning. We're gonna. We're not going to be in a particular hurry about this. We're gonna. We're going to let the Lord just surface some things because I think he wants to surface some things and I think he wants to deal with it right now. Uh, why don't we just close our eyes and I'm going to pray and let's just, let's just respond to the Holy Spirit who's in the room with us. That be all right? Father, we just love you and we want to be people who, who live the actual good life, not just people who have an intellectual understanding of some proposed good life in your book. Father, we'd like to be people who actually encounter the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so, Father, I ask that even now for every person in the room, for every person who is submitting to the yoke that you lay out right now, Father, I ask that you would begin to surface. Father, would you begin to surface the issues of anger and bitterness and malice and contempt that we have for other people? Would you just begin to to surface that in our own hearts right now? 
Now here's what's going to happen. Just keep your eyes closed. But the Lord may bring a name in front of you. As soon as I pray that prayer, there may be a person that just popped up. There may be a situation, like a family situation. I feel like the Lord is just going to drop little memories and he's going to drop some things right on people right now. Father, would you just surface that? Would you call to mind because we want to be free? As the Lord surfaces that stuff, let's just, let's just begin to give it to him, all right? Just even in your own words, if he surfaced something in your life, let's just, let's just begin to turn that over to him. Father, we just give you that stuff. Father, we, just, we, we set people free with forgiveness. We just speak the forgiveness word over people, people who have treated us poorly, people that we've treated poorly. Father, we want to be agents of peace. And Father, would you, would you just forgive us even now of carrying these cobras in our heart? Not only that, but Father, would you give us the strength and the intestinal fortitude to go to our brother or our sister this week if that's what we need to do? I feel like the Lord is probably going to have several people in the room actually go have face-to-face encounters with people and to just speak the forgiveness word over them or to even ask for forgiveness. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks, Lord. Ministry team, you all have some words?